Hey guys, what's going on? It's Jeff. A quick note before the show begins. The audio from these podcasts mostly come from live video YouTube streams on my channel. They may vary in quality from show to show and reference visual content not described to you, the listener. I'm sorry about that. If you prefer video to go with this audio, head over to youtube.com backslash from us, F-R-U-M-E-S-S for the whole enchilada. Who doesn't like a whole enchilada anyway? I figured out a way for me to start the or get a link to the um to the live stream and, and implant it instead of doing it after the fact. So I don't have to share anything at all. That feels really great. I'm really happy about that. Hope everybody had a nice Thanksgiving meal. I'm stuffed to the gills. We uh, we fry our turkey every year, so we did a deep fried turkey. Um, my my dad spilled half the peanut oil. We you get a big gallon of uh, uh, not a gallon, yeah, fluid gallon, right? It's a gallon, 128 fluid ounces, whatever that is, of peanut oil. My dad left the valve undone, so he's pouring in peanut oil and the. The valve is leaking peanut oil all over my parents' kitchen. My dad's freaking out, cursing up a storm. It was great. He doesn't find it funny. I found it hilarious. Um, I think in a year from now, it's going to be really, really funny. It's just not funny in the moment. I understand. If it was my house, I'd be pissed. So, you know, sort of like armchair humor there, I guess. I don't know. Um. But it was good, man. We had a good we had a good meal. It was a good meal. I was very pleased with that. And um Black Friday is uh causing me to do uh to to peruse, look for good deals and whatnot. Never pass up a good deal. Um looking at a possibly getting a ring light for this setup because you know what I use now is I have this. This is what my light, this is from IKEA. Really nice light but it doesn't work very well to my needs. Uh, well, I should say the bulb is going out is what I really mean. That's why it's not working my needs. It's worked, served me well up to this point. I like to have a little light just touch my nose. We're just waiting for the space to get a little bit more populated uh, than it already is. Uh, and I'm noticing outside all the Christmas lights are going up, which is great. You know, we do Christmas lights year round, if you couldn't tell in the back. Oh, Here's one piece of, of content that I would love to talk to you about. Give me one second while I pull this up. This is important to me um, as we as we're uh, uh, warming up here, getting the getting, you know, warming up uh, and whatnot. Um, I do another show like this called Pizza Punk uh, out of out of uh, uh, a necessity to want to sort of, you know, have something else going for this channel. That's just not necessarily misfits related, although. This happens to be Misfits related. Um, I had Pete from Sam Hain was on the show again. Uh, sorry, not on the show again. I should say I spoke to Pete for the first time in nine years. Last time I interviewed him was for the documentary. Um, it was very good to chat with him again. So he's coming back, uh, or I should say he's coming on the show. He came back to do an interview, I guess. I don't know why I keep talking like he was previously here. It's not a 
past tense thing. Um, so if you're not subscribed to the channel, please do so now. There's a link to go and subscribe. If you click that, you will instantaneously be subscribed to the channel. Please do so. Uh, like this, like this, uh, this video. Leave a comment. Anything that sort of stuff really helps. There's lots of ways you could support the creationist content. In any case, as I said here, it was fun to chat with Pete, Damian, Marshall of Sam Hanegi Pop again. So some people don't realize that uh, Damian actually went on to go and play with Iggy Pop. Uh, and the trolls. He he was in the band. Iggy had a backing band called Iggy and the Trolls, and and Pete was there. Pete wrote some songs with Iggy. Uh, Pete plays on Skull Ring, which uh, also features the Stooges. So Pete does play on a Stooges record in addition to playing on Niggy Pop record. That's pretty cool. Um, so he's worked with both Glenn Danzig and Iggy Pop. What a what a crazy life that is, huh? To to jet set around the world touring with Iggy Pop cut your teeth in a van across the country with, with Glenn. Um, just, just a wild and crazy life. And, um, you know, I said here, I said our, it was a career spanning discussion uh, that presented uh, many illuminating tidbits uh, of nerdy music minutia that I was not aware of. So I learned a bunch of little things um, that I was not aware of. And, you know, I'm kind of curious now, now I, I what I really want to do is I want to have uh, some other people on the show to sort of uh, get a full picture because we saw we saw Pete's picture and I want to see the other side of that picture. I'm very curious now to hear what that is. Oh, we have Rue Morgan in the house. What's up, man? How you doing? We missed you too, Rue. Um, hope you hope you and your family had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Um, yeah, man. Hope you're well. Hope hope things are well. Glad glad you're showing up, tuning in. That's good. Um, glad you're here. And uh, yeah, I really thought Pete delivered on this episode. And and what you're gonna see too on the channel, you got to be aware of. You know, you're gonna be you're gonna see a lot of micro content from these episodes. So for there, there are some people who are like, oh, you know what? I don't want to listen to the full two hour thing or one hour thing. Or you know, I'm tired of listening. Jeff talks too much to begin with. He's friggin' loudmouth, and frankly, I I just want to hear the misfit stuff. I don't really care for the other stuff. So what I, for your convenience, for your listening pleasure, what I've done is I've gone in and I've done a little snippy snip jobs uh, on some of these episodes where I see a topic that I might think be really clickbaity. I'm looking for clickbait stuff for you to click on with good reason to do so. Um, so if I see something that's really interesting, that a really good piece of micro content in these podcast episodes, I'm, I'm pulling it out and I'm putting it on the, on, on the channel. So keep your eyes peeled. I got about 20 of those lined up. From various different episodes, uh, I just had Dead Gein from from uh, Blood uh, Blood Sucking Zombies from Outer Space. Uh, Dead Gein and I toured. Richie, we toured together um, when I was touring with Blitzkid, and, and he was in uh, he's in Blood Sucking Zombies from Outer Space. Did the Hell Knights tour? That's already up. You can watch that live on YouTube after you're after you're done with this show. You can go head over to that show. Uh, and it was very cool to talk to um, Richie, a.k.a. Dead Gein, because, you know, we just talked about a lot. We talked about horror movies. We talked about a lot of stuff. But um, the thing that really sort of tickled my pickle in our conversation was at the very end, learning about how he um, about their distribution strategy for their new album uh, due to COVID-19, due, due to the pandemic. They sort of reinvented uh, how they were going to you know put out an album. And I really, really respect and admire 
the ingenuity. You know, it's true what they say. Uh, um, necessity is the is the mother of invention, as Frank Zappa brought to the masses. You know, mothers of invention. Um, it's true, man. Necessity is the mother of invention, and these guys, you know, uh, wrap their wrap their minds around this concept that I thought, you know, and you kind of like look at it, and you're like, oh, it's really not that special. But you know what? When you when you are your own label, doing stuff like this is the coolest. And they were incredibly successful with it. They sold their thing out. It was just they they um it, it exceeded all their expectations. And I'm very happy for them. I'm very proud of these guys. I'm very happy for them. Um, so you know, check them out. Go to their website, uh, which I think is zombies. Oh god. Was it zombie? Yeah, zombies at you can I think we talked about this last week, actually. Did talk about this last week. Wow. You know, I have, I must have amnesia because we actually talked about this at the beginning of the last week's episode. Boy, do I feel stupid. What are you saying, Rue? You survived the holiday. Happy to be back. I've got some catching up to do. You interview Monty Melnick yet? Oh, funny you should ask. Uh, yeah, Monty's. So uh, for those who don't, who are not aware, um, I, I will, I, I will be interviewing Monty Melnick. Uh, aka Monty Ramon. I don't like usually like to talk about these things until they've been happened, you know, because so many times you, you talk about it and it hasn't happened yet. And then you get really mad, you get really mad at yourself. A lot of horror punk guys do that. They don't talk about what they're doing and then they just drop something. They just want to surprise you with it. Um, I, I kind of like that. I kind of hate that philosophy and I like that philosophy. Um, so, yes. Yeah, so Monty Ramon, hopefully, God willing, Monty Ramon will be on Pizza Punk to talk all things Ram Ramones. That's going to be a pre-tape show. I pre-tape the Pizza Punk show because I like to make sure that my guests feel really comfortable. They might not be used to the live format like, like myself, and I don't want them to feel um, weird about, you know, taping live or feel self-conscious. So we tape that, and then, you know, if they want me to cut anything out, I cut stuff out, you know, whatever. If I cut something out, I cut something out. And then that goes up uh, as a live premiere stream, but it's actually pre-taped. And um, yeah, Monty, Monty Ramon, uh, who's the tour manager of the Ramones from 1974 to 1996. So this guy is like, he's the fifth Ramon. He's the, he, he saw the, he, he uh, one of the biggest parts of the, of the inner circle. That's right, Rue, me too, man. Uh, he's one of the biggest parts of, of the Ramones inner circle, along with Mickey Lee, who is um, was Joey Ramones' brother, and a few others. And uh, so, so hearing what he has to say, and we're going to talk about his book. He wrote a book called I forgot what it was called. Uh, Touring My Life with the Ramones. Touring with the Ramones. Pretty cool book. Um. So yeah. So there's that. So we can exit. Okay. Another thing I want to uh, bring to your attention. I want to do this for uh, Roger from Agnostic Front. This kind of blew my mind. So Roger from Agnostic Front is a really, he's a avid record collector of like punk stuff. Yeah, Monty is a legend. Monty is a legend. And I did speak to him over the phone and he was super nice, super nice guy. So Roger from Agnostic Front is a, not only is he an, a, 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 an enthusiast when it comes to collecting vinyl, but he collects a lot of punk stuff. And this kind of blew me away. Uh, Roger is a huge Misfits fan. He's got a huge Misfits Samhain Danza collection. He knows his stuff. He really knows his stuff. I mean, he should 
considering that Roger was around back then, saw the Misfits live and, you know, was, you know, knew many of their contemporaries and yada, yada, yada. So, um, so he put this up for sale. I want to just highlight this. So these were, so, so Rogers, one of Rogers dreams, I, I would imagine it was, it would be one of my dreams too, is that agnostic front uh, played the last original misfit show in Philadelphia in December of 2019, almost a year ago. And um, uh, a friend, so here's what he says. I'll just read what he says. And then we'll uh, here. Let me just read. Oh, wow. You really can't see it for sale. These mini here, maybe it'll, it'll pop up here like that. Nope. doesn't work. Okay. So he says for sale. These mini 11 by 17 gloss posters were made by a friend, basically to share among friends. This is from the last uh, show. The misfits played uh, with agnostic front. The art is pretty damn cool. It features a mix of the classic Earth AD and AF's Eliminator, plus classic AF punk and skin skeletons. All er early 80s art from both bands. I figured uh, to post them here first for sale, and then the rest I'll post on the Vinyl Assault uh, Instagram account. Vinyl Assault is uh, Roger's uh, Instagram, who says, yeah, Roger is another legend, a really nice dude who's also a Misfits fiend. Kind of, kind of blew my mind, really, truly. Um, there are only a few left, so I think it's uh, best to list four colors, then individually under the color. Blah, 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 blah. Just post your name, and I will contact you with payment. Um, he's only shipping in the uh, to the U.S. on these. The cost is thirty dollars each, plus five dollars shipping. They'll definitely look good in a collection. Um, they will ship in a tube again, only in the USA. So here's what he has: two orange, three green, six blue, and twelve purple. Payment will be on PayPal or Venmo. We can figure that out after I sort out who what. Remember, claim individually under color and post of a, a individual poster. So look at that. One hell of a party. Oh, it says, yeah, only two available. So only two are available right now, guys. Um, this is the original Misfits Agnostic Front uh, show. Let's see what the next. There's a green one. There's the uh, black one, I guess. Is that black or purple? Black. Um, and a maroon one that that he has the most of. Yeah, it's really cool. You can see the, the it really, it's a ma real mashup of, of the two uh, bands, both uh, Agnostic Front and the original Misfits. And that is in, so that's in this group. You have to join this group in order to get in on that. That's the Fiend Collectors group. I really like the Fiend Collectors group run by by uh, Mike Goodman. I believe he's the Fiend Collector. Uh, also a really great guy uh, with a lot of integrity. This group has a lot of integrity when it comes to collecting and stuff. Um, a real go-to go place. So you can go right there. That's where you can get first crack at these posters. So check it out um, if you want a cool piece of, of history that I'm sure once they're gone, you know, nobody really ever wants them when they're around. But then when they're gone, that's when everybody suddenly realizes, oh, I wish I had that in my collection. So go check it out. Yada, yada, yada. So there's that. Uh, so what to do for this week? Well, here's the thing. Um, we have just, we have slowly been going through time and history with Jerry only. We, we, we seem to be following Jerry only in, in, in years that end with three, that seems to be the pattern, but it's interesting because every year that ends with three, 
uh, uh, Jerry, well, you know, every decade that passes with a year that ends in three, Jerry only is at a, a different place in his life. He's at a different, uh, uh, hallmark in his life. And, um, it's very interesting. We first, one we looked at was 1983, which was the tail end of the misfits. Uh, Jerry's kind of second banana to, to Glenn in the interview. They're up in Boston. They had just done the brain eaters video fascinating interview i had never heard that interview until we we went through it uh so much had i not heard that interview that i played it on air um uncirculated interview with uh, uh curtis from uh, uh i think it was either kerrang magazine or it's curtis from tang records i can't remember one of those two things um somewhere up in the boston area and they played the channel club and the guys who shot the brain Eaters video also shot that show for channel club it's a great show so so we did that. Then we jumped 10 years to 1993. And that's a that's that's a, a pre-Misfits 95 Jerry only um knee deep in gridlocked lawsuits with Glenn Danzig over um royalties, the Misfits name, rights to publishing, rights to uh playing out as the Misfits, as recording as the Misfits. And as you know the split was done. I personally, I think, I don't know. I guess they both got good, good ends of the deal. I, although if I had to pick, maybe I would want control of that catalog. I would much rather have the publishing of those songs than say being able to play as the misfits. They could have gone out, you know, Jerry could have just gone out as them or, you know, it would have been harder. They would have had more hurdles to, to, to jump over, but they would have uh, eventually earned legitimacy and respect in a whole new way. And they would have had something that would have had nothing to do with Glenn. There would have been no brand confusion. It would have been Jerry's own thing. If in fact, if Jerry had taken those steps, then, then right now he wouldn't be, you know, waiting in between misfit shows. Cause you know, Jerry waits a year in between shows, which is kind of how it should be in, if, in terms of the misfits, the misfits were always a band that played, you know, one year, uh, one time out of the year, they played around Halloween and that was it. That was the only time you saw them. I kind of like that. I kind of think they could do that forever. If they kept that model today, they could do that forever. They would never stop touring. They would stop touring when, when, uh, one of them dropped dead or someone busted up, busted a knee, uh, kneecap and needed a hip replacement surgery. They just keep doing it and people would keep paying the money for it too. Um, you know, not oversaturating the market and staying true to their brand in that kind of way. And then in the middle of that, Jerry, had he used a different name that was not Misfits 95, Jerry would be touring as whatever that name of that band was, Resurrected Miss, uh, The Resurrected. I always thought it would be cool if they called themselves The Resurrected, which ties in with his whole, you know, Christianity, you know, subversive Christianity thing. Um, could have called, they were they were talking about calling themselves them. That would have been great. Uh, he could have even stayed as, you know, Christ the Conqueror. Kept kept it as Christ the Conqueror. Sure, why not? Go ahead. That's fine. Um, but no, they went back as Misfits 95. That that and that started its own own slew of problems. And then the other the other side of it is, you know, would they have even reunited? They 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 reunited because of that, because there was a lawsuit involving that. That was the only way to settle. So one could argue maybe they would have reunited sooner. One could argue maybe they would have never stopped. You know, they would have reunited a long, long time ago and just done shows on Halloween and call it a day. You know, maybe they would have even put out an album, maybe a live album. Who knows? 
Danzig is uh, put out live on the blackhand side. And what was interesting about that was it was, it wasn't just one live show. It was, it was cherry picking what he felt were the best tracks over uh, his whole career in Danzig and just creating a, a definitive live album that had a bunch of different lineups on it uh, from a classic lineup to uh, some of the uh, in-between lineups uh, all the way up uh, until I guess 2002 is when they, so it was really about, yeah, it was about 12 years, 12, 13 years of live shows um, sort of consolidated together. Uh, you'd, you'd think maybe if they were playing shows, they, you know, I don't know, they would put, would have put out an album, uh, a live Misfits album, just of, you know, the best of the best of the best and put that together. Um, <laughs> Whoa, that's interesting. The Devil Ox would have been a better name over the new fits. I like that a lot. That is really cool, Rue. Yeah, the Devil Ox. Like, why not? You call yourself the Devil Ox. I feel like that's such a, that's such a no-brainer. I mean, I get it. I get it. You want to go back out as the Misfits, want to taste that Misfits glory and success that you didn't get to have in your heyday. But, I mean, you know, at what cost? You know, at the scrutiny of all the, you know, nerds on the internet, which I don't think Jerry really gives a crap about, right? Jerry doesn't care. He's not, he doesn't care what anybody thinks. Let me tell you something. If Jerry cared about what people thought, he would have stopped doing what he was doing a long, long time ago. Um. So, sorry, I was just looking at something over my phone. I know we were supposed to do um, casting, final finalized casting choices. We'll save that for the future because we're talking about this now. Um, so, yeah, so that brings us. So point is, I don't know. Wow, that was such a weird, long tangent. My point is uh, 2000, uh, 1993. Jerry only is a is is on the cusp of getting the misfits name back. Glenn is at his you know peak in terms of you know fame. He's broken the top forty with Mother. He's an international touring sensation with Danzig, at least in the metal world. Um, just just crushing it. So there's definitely uh, Jerry's kind of bitter, but he's also super honest. Probably my. Uh, excuse me, probably my favorite Jerry interview and probably the most real, like realistic, real Jerry interview, I think. Uh, Cause he just has no agenda. There's just nothing. There, there's nothing. Um, there's nothing at stake. There's no need to sort of, uh, you know, change things around. So now we're jumping another decade and what's happened in that decade, just to give us some context, we have to do the whole context thing again. We just said that for 1993. So here's the context now. So we we listened to Jerry pre Misfits 95. Now we're going to Jerry post Misfits 95. This is a little bit of uncharted territory uh, to an extent. We've talked about Chud and Graves, but you know with their own you know controversies. We've never talked about. We haven't talked about. Um, What's it called? Uh, we haven't really talked about the Misfits '95 in to an extent, you know, at least really with what what was really going on with them. Uh, that's not really what this is about, but it, this is this is about Jerry. Um, so 2003, uh, Misfits '95 is have broken up. Uh, Jerry, sorry, Doyle, Chud, and Graves they walk off House of Blues. 2000, you know who played the next show was uh, Joey Image. 
Joey Image played the next show uh, with uh, Doyle and Jerry as a three-piece. That's interesting. Uh, with Jerry on vocals. Jerry did 138 by himself. He finished the show. Did one more song. He did not let those guys shake him. They were trying to do a band with Vampiro. There's a whole thing about that. They want to do their whole their own thing away from Jerry. Who knows? Who knows what, what's real, what's not? Um, so they all leave. Then Doyle comes back into the fold. They get Robo. They had they, they had a couple of guys. They had Zoli. They had this guy Zoli for a while. They had a guy named Renfield. That was the initial re- replacement. That didn't work out. Uh, they were trying. I mean, he was sort of messing with 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 Graves. I guess he was trying to mess with Graves again, the way he had done with Mike Hideous, um, by having this guy Zoli sing, um, sing for the band, uh, trying to like you know freak maybe psych out Mike or something. Who knows? Who knows what was going to that? But Zoli did become a replacement, a temporary replacement for, for a while, for at least a few months. Uh, and then, and then crazy enough. So Doyle comes back. Robo comes into the fold. Mike, Gra- Michael Graves does come back for, for uh, a tour for the M25 tour. Cause that's what, that's really what this is. What we're about to talk about. This is, this is right after that. So 2001 is the M25 tour. And, Jerry has has befriended Des Kadena from Black Flag, who he knew from from way back in the day. Gets him on guitar for a while. You have these weird mutant lineups where you have like you have like Doyle, Jerry, Robo. So you have the Earth AD lineup with Des Kadena on on second guitar. So it's like it's like you know the Misfits and Black Flag have fused into a band without Glenn Danzig. Isn't that weird to think about? Uh, and then Doyle left. Doyle left. And I wonder if bringing in Des was kind of like, I know that you're about to leave Doyle, or I want you to think that you are replaceable Doyle. So one of those two sort of factors. Doyle walks off. He ends up starting Gorgeous Frankenstein. And then um, the M25 lineup. So, you know, that's when Robo first starts playing, shows the band, but he's not permanently in the band. Marky Ramon, who is friendly with Jerry, and they they go back a ways, a, a long ways, if you really think about it. The Ramones and the Misfits 95 always sort of like, you know, had ties mainly through Joey Ramon. But Joey Ramon's dead now. And Marky Ramon gets involved with Jerry. And Jerry's like, hey, you want to tour with us? We'll do. And they start literally doing, you literally have a Black Flag guy, a, a Misfits guy, and a Ramones guy. And they are doing they're doing three sets. They're doing a misfit set. They're doing a Ramon set. <laughs> they're doing a, a, a black flag set. It's crazy when you think about it. It's really crazy. They're, they're doing this. And then on top of that, it, this is a, an idea that Jerry had going back to the misfits 95. And I guess really it might've even been an idea that, that Glenn and Jerry had kicked around together um, going back to the original band days where of doing a, a covers album. And as you know, you know, it's funny. Glenn's done a covers album. Jerry's done a covers album and Bobby's done a covers album. All these guys did covers albums at one point or another. And so using a lineup of, of Des and, and Marky Ramon, Jerry goes into the studio, uh, I guess between 2000, maybe it was between 2001 and 2002, maybe it was 2002 and they start, um, tracking uh all these covers and you know 
a lot of people hate Project 1950 and think it's a, a, an abomination and a travesty, and it, it kind of is because it it's the it, it's using the Misfits name. If it was just the Jerry only band, or if he just called himself only Jerry, or the only ones, or just some the Jerry only band, just something like that, that record would be f- solid to me. It's when you once again, as we've said time and time again, brand confusion makes things bittersweet and that's for that's what for a lot of people cannot stomach the idea of a misfits album having this and then jerry having this grand epiphany about like how like punk rock is a return to rock and roll of the 50s and has to write a whole he writes a whole booklet in the booklet of project 1950 he has this whole thing about like breaking it down as to why it's just like punk rock as if to like further shove down your throat that hey really making a punk rock record you know um Jason Devilock says, that's what I've always thought. I don't know. What you, Jason, you're going to have to fill me in, buddy. I don't know what you're referring to. What do you mean? What, what is it that you've always thought? Um, but, you know, it's just like, it's not a bad record. I enjoy it. I, I do. I, I've said, I have publicly stated for the record, I enjoy everything that came after 83, but only if it within its proper context. I don't, you know, American Psycho is a fun, cheesy Jesus metal record. You know, uh, and uh, uh, Project 1950, a great Jerry only solo record. That's how you have to think about it. You can't call it the Misfits. You call it, it's the same way as when, it's the same way as when um, in the mid 80s, when Tommy Iommi, everybody had left Black Sabbath, except time, Tommy Iommi was being pressured into calling his solo album Black Sabbath. And so he did, um, calling it the only band. Yeah, the only, I think he should call it, should call it, uh, the only ones or only Jerry. I think that would be a great name, Jason. Truly. Rue says, fifties um, project was great. Hearing Jerry take the lead vocals is great, but not awesome. I mean, yeah, they're not bad. He doesn't do a bad job singing those songs. It's fine. Just, just, you know, again, when you call it misfits, then all of a sudden you're comparing it to all the greatness that came before. That's the problem. That's literally the only problem here. When you think about it. Um, the famous monsters, Raphael says the famous monsters lineup was supposed to record the 1950s album, but Michael didn't like this idea. Okay. Thank you. I didn't know that. Thanks Raphael. So yeah, that's what I'm saying though. This was an idea. This was a a, definitely in the works, which actually this kind of makes sense. This is why you have monster mash, right? This is why they they're covering monster mash and and that's how you get that track. That's probably somewhere because that monster mash is on project 1950. So And Jerry's singing it. This is probably when Jerry, you know, deep down inside, Jerry's starting to get the confidence of like, I don't, I can be the singer. And if I'm the singer, then I don't have to deal with the annoyingness of a front man. Because you know what? The thing is, I don't think Jerry, and again, I don't know. This is all speculation. Um, I don't think Jerry really cares necessarily about being the front man. I think Jerry would like to have a front man. I think Jerry likes being, I think Jerry liked his role in the band of just being the bass player and like, you know, the, the you know the leader he's still the leader but he's not the front man in that kind of way and he sort of took it on because you know jerry's a hard-working guy and he just wants to keep the band going that's all jerry cares about he just wants to keep the band going so it's like it's just like it's like 
okay, I, if if I'm the lead, I'm not going to get into a fight with me because I'm the lead singer. So that's there. There you go. One less person I have to pay, you know, because one less person that doesn't have that I don't have to worry about writing a check for or dealing about getting on an airplane. After all the the, the problems, all the lineup problems, he finally, you know, nips nips that in the bud, right? At least, and again, this is in what he thinks in his mind. Because the reality is many of us, you know, Uber fans do not like, we don't like, by the way, let's get, get to our, our main thing. Um, I forgot who brought me this interview, by the way, but shout out to the person who shared this with me. I forget. And leave your name in the comments if you come back or something. Point is freaking um, in Jerry's mind, he's like, ah, I'm the, I'm the lead singer. I don't have to worry about this, sh- this stuff anymore. You know, that's, I'm sure that's where it comes from. Cause you know, he didn't have, listen, when you look at all the photos of, of misfits 95, do you see Jerry having to be out front? Is Jerry standing in front of everybody? No, Jerry just, Jerry's knows his role in the band. He just stands off to the side on everything on everything. Why did look at them? Look at the misfits. Um, Look at the dig up her bones video. Is it the Jerry show? No, it's not. No matter whether he was a tyrant in the band, no matter what, when it came to presenting the band and the band's image, it doesn't seem that Jerry had much ego in that way. It doesn't, in my opinion. I don't know. You know, and if he did, he would have just been the singer right off the bat and just been the front man and called it a day, you know, but he didn't. He had Mike. He had Michael Graves come in. And then when Michael Graves didn't work out, did he try and sing himself? No, he got Mike hideous. As if just to to show Michael Graves, and then when 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 Michael Graves walked out, he got Zoli, right? So it's like this is there's clearly he doesn't necessarily want to be the front man, but he becomes the front man out of necessity. As going back to what we said earlier, necessity is the mother of invention. So now is the year two thousand three. Jerry is 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 basically locked in a pattern because. From this point on until the year 2011, so for about, what is that, eight years almost, Jerry is not going to put out any original material. And really, Jerry wouldn't put out any original material for 11 years, right? I guess the day the earth caught fire, he wrote that song. That was about it. So, oh, that's not true because he did Twilight of the Dead and Land of the Dead. He did have some stuff, but he wouldn't actually put out an album of original material for 12 years like a full album so so this is beginning jerry even jerry even considered you for vocals once all right rue spill the beans rue what's the full story on this and if it's a good story all right rue write the story tell us what the story is behind this why did he consider you for vocals once um but he so this is beginning a, a drought for Jerry of like from 2003 to 2011. He is just he might be recording in private. He might be trying to put something together, but nothing comes out apart from a single here and a single there. So much so that he's scraping the bottom of the barrel. He's putting out Angel. What is it? Angel Baby and Psycho in the Wax Museum. Two cuts from Misfits 95 that don't even have any vocals on them. Like this is a guy, Jerry is a guy who 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 sings and fancies himself a singer. He's not even writing lyrics to put over the music for this single. He's just not doing it. So, you know, there's some like there's some gap here. 
And now we're going to hear what Jerry, so this is Jerry. And the other thing to realize, again, I know this is so much context for the interview, but I think it's important to sort of like preamble all this stuff. So the other, so the other thing to consider about Jerry only in 2003 is that this is Jerry only after MTV, after doing world tours with the Misfits 95 um, rebuilding the fan base. Cause the one thing we have to give Jerry some credit here for, for a few reasons. One, Jerry, I mean, and Doyle and the rest of the guys by, by that matter, um, they, they, they rebuilt the audience for the misfits. There was always an audience there, but it was not, I mean, they really built, they, they, they built up and they strengthened the misfits brand, no matter what Danzig says, no matter whether Danzig says no, Metallica, me being Danzig, I, I strengthen the Misfits brand. Yeah, of course, both of you guys. Bobby Steele strengthens the Misfits brand by, by doing uh, Misfits songs in the Undead set. He was doing Misfits. As a matter of fact, Bobby Steele's the only guy who never stopped. All those guys stopped at one way or another. Bobby Steele, since 1980, has been doing Misfits songs in his set. Whether it was a meal ticket or not, that guy has consistently done his thing. He's the only one who have done so. Um, so, so Jerry's built back up the brand. Uh, we, I talked about this with, uh, Joe, uh, JV bastard from, uh, Mr. Monster and Darrow and yada, yada, yada. Uh, this idea of like the second wave of horror punk or like this horror punk scene genre, uh, sort of sprouts from the misfits 95. Yes. You had like bands like the independents and the groovy ghoulies and yada, yada, yada were around, but this actual, the actual scene sort of um, blossoms. All these bands sort of pop out. Your Blitz Kids, your Mr. Monsters, your Crypt Keeper Fives, Zombita and the Skeletons, they all sort of blossom around between the, the years of 1997, 1998, around that time, just shoot out. Uh, and that gives birth to, to an entire sub subgenre of music called horror punk, really. I don't think horror punk comes from the original misfits. I think horror punk, even though it all comes from the misfits, it really, it's sort of like horror punk comes from misfits 95, which in turn comes from the misfits. If that makes any sense. And if someone disagrees with me, because I most certainly am not an authority on that. I would love to hear why you think that's not true uh, or, or a compelling argument. Yeah, exactly. Adam says blitz kids, CK five, Mr. Monster. So all of that springs up. And all those and Ghoul's Night Out, the Ghoul's Night Out festival is happening around this time. Matter of fact, Matt Pathetic has even said, I, I was at a Misfits uh, M25 show and I was like, I can do better than this. There's so many great horror bands out there. And that's how all those guys met up. That's how Blitzkid and Mr. Monster met up. That's how the CK5 met those guys. That's how all these bands, uh, Eerie Lane, the Vladimir's, Green Goblin Project, all these guys, they all got together. Cancer Slug was there. Um, graves um i don't know if you'd include gotham road with that or not i don't know so okay so here it is jerry only in the year 2003 again i don't know who gave me this interview somebody passed me i definitely have read this in the past but um this is one of two interviews from 2003 so let's let's take a look jerry only is the founding bass player Sorry, Jerry only is the founding bassist of punk legends, the Misfits. Now, while I do agree that, okay, so I can't pronounce, how do you pronounce that? Hypatia? 
I apologize if I mispronounce this. Hypatia Stanhope says horror punk as a scene started in the nineties. Right. That okay. That makes sense. Oh, here's here's Rue's story. Before we launch in, boy, what a pre. All right, hold on, Rue. Let, let's just let's just hear what Rue has to say. Rue was at a 2001 gig in Newark. There was at least 12 bands playing: Typo Negative, Biohazard, Thursday, Jerry's Fitz played last. It was effing late, uh, late night already, and I'm drunk, so I meet up with Jerry after the set. Dot dot dot, and he says. And I say to him, damn, you need a singer. That sounded terrible. <laughs> well, wow. Okay. And then what did he say? What did he say, Rue? Um, hi, hi, Pesha. Hi, Pesha. Hi, Pesha. Hi, Pesha. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Um, all right. So we'll wait for Rue to type more than that. He said that you need a singer and you're terrible. I guess Jerry's going to say, wow, why don't you sing? Um, we'll, we'll hear the rest of that. In any case, so right off the bat, Jerry is the is is being touted. He's being touted here as the um the founding bassist of punk legends, the Misfits. Although the band originally broke up in 1983 or so, he and his brother Doyle, who had played guitar in the Misfits, launched a new Danzig Free Misfits in the mid-90s. That lineup released the studio albums American Psycho and Famous Monsters before falling apart and paving the way for a Misfits supergroup. Featuring Jerry, Marky Ramone, and Black Flag's Des Kadena. This lineup recently released a CD of 50s cover tunes entitled Project 1950. Having been a fan for the, of the band for a good 14 years, I jumped down, turned around, picked a bale of cotton when Citizens Tom White told me he could get me on the phone with Mr. Only to discuss the past, present, and future of his fine outfit. This was me. Howdy do. Howdy do the interviews below. I'm bold, uh, black and beautiful. And Jerry is plain text, but with a devil lock. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Let's read it. Hello. Hello. I'm calling for Mark. Hey, this is Mark. Ah, this is Jerry. Hey, how you doing? Ah, doing well. Oh, this is great. So this is going to be one of those exactly in Jerry's syntax, you know, a transcribed interview, but Jerry is, Known as the ba- the founding base bassist of this band, which he is. You know, I, I, let's not even go the stupid the, the Diane D. Piazza nonsense. It's stupid. It's stupid. He is the founding bass player. Um, this is Jerry. Hey, how you doing? Doing well. How you doing? Ah, excellent. Thank you for calling. Oh, yeah, no problem. I'm gonna have to. This is not gonna work. We're gonna have to. Okay. Uh, so okay. So Howdy says. Uh, so tell me about the new album. I'll just write Jerry. I'll say Jerry only when I'm talking about Jerry only. Jerry only the new album is a childhood dream come true. Got to sing with Ronnie Spector, got to cover a bunch of songs that I thought were definitely influential in drawing a line between the punk form of songwriting and obviously the original rock and roll. So it went well. We had an all-star lineup. It was great. Oh, boy, I'm very burpy tonight. Um, How did you get that lineup together? This is an amazing lineup you have. Jerry only says, yeah, well, what happened was we were doing the Misfits 25th anniversary run and Joey Ramone was supposed to be singing with us. Right. Okay, so I remember this. Okay, so there was a brief, brief moment. I, who told me this? I heard this recently. Um, Joey Ramone was being uh, sort of sort of courted to sing for the Misfits. No joke. 
No effing joke. I can't remember where I heard that, but here it is confirmed. Yes, that, that Joey Ramone was going to be the singer for the Misfits. So Joey was supposed to be, but in here it would have been like as a guest spot, but I'm sure that Glenn would probably want that to be, um, you know, uh, I mean, not Glenn, uh, Jerry would want that to be uh, permanent. Yes, I know they did an Iggy Pop tune together, but um, that was for Joey's solo album, uh, Don't Worry About Me, in 1999. However, I mean, J uh, Jerry, and, Jerry and Joey go all the way back to 1979. Um, so they, like, knew each other. This was not, that. that's not where that started. Um, but he, yeah, so he wanted, he wanted Joey uh, for a guest spot. Joey was supposed to be singing with us and Marky was coming along and we brought Des in as a special guest because he had come out for the West Coast to see the shows. And when he was here, I was just like, hey, Des, since you're here, why don't you come up and do some songs with us? And he was like, yeah, okay, sure. So one thing led to another and then my brother, so here's, so, so Doyle leaves, Doyle leaves the band and, you know, he left the band for a bunch, for another Yes, it was it wasn't it wasn't Iggy's cover album called We Will Fall. The song was 1969 and it was for Joey's solo album that they also submitted to the Iggy covers album. So you you are correct, but it was originally for that for the 1969 project. I believe. I believe. I believe that's what came first. Not not We Will Fall the the Iggy Pop tribute. I just love the way that Jerry Sort of like does this sort of like, you know, he's like just the way he tells his story. Oh, yeah. And then I said, Ooh. you know, it's just like the way such the way Jerry Jerry is. And he was like, yeah, OK, sure. So one thing led to my uh, another and my brother had some responsibilities that kept him from touring. We were working together, me, Marky and Des. Um, yeah. So so Doyle was just like, I don't want. He says now who knows what it was back then exactly, because from my understanding, he wanted gorgeous george doyle wanted gorgeous george his wife at the time to dance while the misfits played on stage and jerry was like that jerry did not want that to happen i guess this is what from my understanding jerry did not was not down with that and that's kind of the the seeds of 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 what would become of gorgeous frankenstein really um but Doyle will tell you post marriage to gorgeous George. Cause he's not married to her anymore. He'll say, Oh, I didn't believe in my brother singing. I thought it was a joke or I didn't like that. My brother was singing. It didn't work for me. And I left as a result. And then Jerry, who's thinking in his head, at least that's what it seems from this interview. Jerry's going, my brother will be back. He's just, you know, I'm just going to, I'll cover Jerry's covering for him until he thinks he's hoping that one day Doyle will, come back into the fold because you know in a way kind of having Doyle there increases the legitimacy of the lineup you know in in his mind this unbroken guitar bass duo since the year 1980 you know um while they were a band so they became so me mark and des they became a three-piece and joey ramon's 50th birthday party had come up and blondie was playing there and i'd run into jimmy uh destry who was from blondie and told jimmy about the project and he was interested in playing and Ronnie, we actually called her on the phone. She was a good friend of Joey Ramones as, as well. So, and Ronnie was married to Phil Spector, who um, Ronnie was married to Phil Spector, who who produced uh, Joey Ramone in End of the Century, and really what was kind of trying to 
talked Jer- uh, Joey into a solo career. And yes, I'm sure that Doyle also left because there was a second guitar. But, you know, again, I don't know what the, inter- the, the exact touch and go of that particular situation was. But I'm sure that on one hand, it's probably uh, it's probably Jerry going, I'll replace you with Dez. And on the other hand, it's probably Doyle going, I don't want Dez. I, I, I don't like having Dez here, you know, because I'm the, the, the guitar player, you know. Um, I'll finish the story another time. I'm listening to you. now, <laughs> Rue, you are you are so funny. Rue, I'll tell you what, um, maybe either this time or next time. Next time I, I throw the link out. Come on and you'll tell the story. OK, you'll come come on the show and tell the story. If you want, if you're not too shy, um, <laughs> Rue is so polite. Um, so I lost my place. This is dense. This 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 text. So Ronnie heard that we were working on a project and knew we were good friends with Joey, and she said, "Well, let me see what I can do for you guys." And she came down and threw her two cents in. So we got the five of us on there, and it's really great because Marky w- was up for the game. Marky was very excited about working on a 50s project, something that he always wanted to do. And Des is actually a second generation musician. His dad worked in the music business before and it all just fell together. I'm really happy with the product. I think the kids, this is when, so this is now uh, Jerry only. This is Jerry only um, uh, uh, calling his fans, the kids from here on it. Hey, the kids, we want to give the kids a good show. We, we, we do things. We do things really good and clean here. For the kids, you know, I don't want to put anything out that's not good for the kids. You know, as he smacks his gum when he talks, as love that. That's that's my favorite Jerry. A lot of people don't like that Jerry. I love that Jerry. That's that that to me. That's primo Jerry. I love that Jerry, Uncle Jerry. Um, in Facebook, uh, uh, in Keep On Dancing, they call him Aunt Jerry, Uncle Glenn, Aunt Jerry. I like. I think they're both uncles, Uncle Jerry, Uncle Glenn. Um. <laughs> He's so he really is so great. You know, I did my first meme. I did like a, a Photoshop of like Jerry doing a devil with his devil lock. But I was like, wait a minute. If you turn a Christmas tree upside down, you can make a devil lock Christmas tree. So that's what I did. I did a devil lock Christmas tree upside down, pointing downward. It was perfect. It was like Jerry getting ready for the Christmas show. You know, considering that they did do a cover of You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch, it kind of works out. You'd think if they did like a Christmas special, the Misfits Christmas special, uh, Jerry's Devil Lock would be would just be upside down Christmas tree. They have all these little uh, crimson ghost uh, uh, jingle bell ornaments. So every time he he shakes, like you're a mean one, Mister Grinch. You'd hear like little jingly bells and whatnot. Um, so Marky was game. Everybody was game. The kids. It was about the kids can relate with the kids. And we bought a bunch of kids moshing to this magic moment. So he's proud that a bunch of kids were moshing to this magic moment. The interviewer says, ha, uh, Jerry, I stand there and I laugh. You know, we do all these, we do an oldies block in the middle of our set. And I'll see these kids moshing to these songs. I just say to myself, do these guys know who wrote this stuff and recorded it? Uh, ever think for one minute that kids will be doing this, doing, uh, will be doing this while their music was being played. I say, nah, I don't think so. So it's good. I think it's an album uh, to really transcend just about every generation there is. We have a problem now with parents stealing their kids' CDs. So the roles have been reversed. <coughs> um, that's pretty funny. That's pretty funny. He's saying we have a problem now with parents stealing their kids' CDs. So the roles have been reversed. 
I feel I feel like that was just a, a, a silly, a, a silly Jerry uh, embellishment um, on, on his part in, in, in that regard. Um, interviewer says, I'm going to pick it up either this weekend or next weekend as a birthday type thing for myself. Uh, Jerry, oh, you're going to get a kick at it. The packaging is really good. We started our own. So, Deb, this is right when they started Misfits Records. We started our own label. One of the main things we realized is that packaging has to really sell the product today because kids can go out and buy a CD and then 10 kids can burn them. So this is not. So Napster is is at its height, but people don't really understand how Napster is going to destroy the music industry yet. Even in 2003, people don't realize, right? Um, so that's what he's thinking. he's thinking about kids burning CDs. He's not even talking about kids downloading or torrenting yet, which is interesting. Um, so you have to really be on your toes. Now, all of a sudden, the marketing we've been that we've been perfecting over the years comes into play. And it's nice because you're able to go into a Best Buy and buy our album with a free DVD in it for $11.99. Yeah, that was the thing. The, uh, that's the one I have. The Project 1950 that I have actually has a DVD with the Misfits with Jerry's Misfits playing a snowboarding park. It's like snowing and they're doing this magic. It's hilarious. It's absolutely hilarious. Um, but, you know, you have to, again, I kind of smile at Jerry's misplaced heart because there's so much love and heart in what he was trying to do. He wants to give the kids value by putting a DVD in the packaging. I appreciate that. Even if it is what it is, I appreciate you gotta appreciate Jerry for doing that a little bit, you know. Like, thanks, Jerry. Like, I appreciate that, man. You know, I'm, I wish Danzig put a DVD in his CD, you know. I mean, like, can't can't fault the guy, you know, especially later. You know, that's the truth. The truth is, it's like, how do you combat pirating and downloading? You make your product download proof. What is download proof? Download proof is that packaging that release is so awesome that i need to own it like i can download it illegally but i still need to buy it and i can only get it in a store i'm not going to steal from a store the way i'm stealing online i'm gonna just buy it in the store and own it because i have to have that in my possession that's download proof and i think jerry was always had his fingers on the pulse for that and would really I, you know it's a shame i think he kind of perfected it right when the original misfits got back together with the way he was releasing you know, a lot of people were kind of hating on that. I was not hating on it. I was like, I didn't buy any of it. It was not my, not something I was really interested in owning, but I appreciated that he was just doing these crazy vinyl releases. I mean, I, I'm sure he was making good friggin' money doing it. <laughs> good old Uncle Jerry, always thinking about the kids. Jerry's kids, that band, Jerry's kids. Could you imagine a Jerry only Saturday night? Oh my God! Okay, let's 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 go into let's go into Fantasyland just for a moment before we return to the interview. Imagine a Saturday morning cartoon, like I know they kind of like have done new, like they have Mike Tyson and his special friends or whatever. But like, <laughs> imagine, imagine, uh, like the Jerry Only Super Kids Hour, where Jerry Only is like a superhero with like Dez and Marky Ramon. And it's like totally like it's like Saturday morning cartoons. And it's just like th they're playing songs. They they travel around in a van. Yes, Jerry's Kids was a hardcore band in the 80s. And if you go on Misfit Central, there used to be a Jerry's Kids section. That was the that was the joke. 
So Jerry and his and and his boys are they're touring around in the van. They get out, they grill for the guys. Hey, let's let's lift weights. Let's lift weights. <laughs> let's lift weights and flip burgers, you know? And they're like go and solve mysteries or something. Oh, the kids. Oh, we're gonna play for the kids, you know. Just be really great. That'd be really funny. I'd I'd enjoy that. Um, so I again, hey, DV free, he says a free DVD. So the $11.99 was the price of the CD. The DVD was free. Although some would argue just that the DVD was a part of the pricing. You know, who knows? Who friggin' knows? Um, the interviewer says, yeah, I saw that. I, I saw it had that. What's on the DVD? And then. Yeah, this is what it is. Oh, yeah. The DVD is us on Halloween night with Jimmy Destery playing Runaway. You know, Runaway sounds really good. I like the Runaway that they do. Again. Not misfits, but I like it. It's fun. It's fine. Whatever. I like the original Runaway, Del Shannon, man. Like, so why wouldn't I like the Jerry only covering Runaway? If I like the original Runaway, why wouldn't I like that? Truthfully. Um, and then we played the Phillips Snowboard Champion. That's what it was. I'm telling you, it was the Phillips Snowboard Championships in Vermont <laughs> outside of a ski slope. Specifically, Phillips called us up. This is before the release of the record. This was last February and said, listen, we know you guys are working on a 50s project. We want you to debut it here because that's what they're doing. The, the the board of the snowboard championships at Phillips Snowboard Championships, we need something. We need something to really entice the kids. What could we get? Hey, I heard that Jerry only is doing a project of 1950s songs. Let's have him play. Because, <laughs> you know, snowboarders love 1950s songs. But this is how Jerry thinks about this stuff in his mind. You know, I don't know. Listen, we know you guys are working on a 50s project. We want you to debut it here. I mean, it really is why we're bringing you in here. We want to see what happens. And we were like, yeah, you're calling real early. And we want to see what happens, too. So it was funny because those were all snowboarding kids and all the acrobatic skiers and stuff. They were all cutting edge. They listen to the hardest stuff there is while they skate and do their thing. So we had them all moshing. And when I say when I see them start moshing, I was just like, wow, here we go. This is going to work because if these kids get it, then your average kid will get it. No problem. The kids, we got to think like the kids. We got to think like the kids. It's the only way. Rah, the kids. Um, That's the name of this episode officially. Jerry's kids. That's that's the name of this episode. That's it. That's the name of the episode. Done, done right there. Uh, then there's a bunch of footage of us and Balzac. Oh, wait, wait, hold on. Uh, then your average kid will get it. No, well, no problem, you know. Uh, these were the more extreme kids, these were like all the crazy kids. So they were, so it was really good. We got hit with snowballs. That's in there. Then there's a bunch of footage of us and Balzac, which is a band on our label now. And Balzac is like the Japanese horror punk, you know lover they love the misfits they dress in skeletons they have these weird sort of japanese devil locks and jerry only got real buddy buddy with them i don't know what happened to that relationship i don't know if they're still on misfits records or if those if those guys are still cool or not but um yeah they were a they were an item for a while i would say that's that's the way to put it they were an item for a while <clears throat> so so he's talking about we got hit by, by by snowballs and then there's a bunch of footage of us and Balzac, which is a band that's on our label now and it's on there as bonus stuff. It helps promote the label. It helps promote the band. 
and also really brings to light the similarities between the original rock and roll and the punk music. It's all about vocal melodies, which is, tr- I mean, I I don't know if it's like he's trying to tie all punk music to 50s, which, yes, yeah, yes, unequivocally, yes. However, I think to another level, considering the Elvis connection and Glenn's influence with crooners, the, the idea of melody really, you know, stands out with the misfits you know that sort of thing and glenn singing with his because he's saying here it's all about vocal melodies and i think when he's saying that he's also saying it all really about the misfits it's all about the vocal melodies um i don't think the stooges was not all about the vocal melodies the sex pistols were not all about vocal melodies richard hell and the voidoids were not all about vocal melodies the damned might were about vocal melodies for sure. You know what I'm saying though? Like there are a lot of bands that were not about vocal melodies really. Um, but the misfits were about vocal melodies. So that's why maybe he's saying that. And really that's where we were musically getting away from. As you see, heavily heavy metal started coming in. Uh, you wound up getting more virtuoso guitar players and drummers doing 10 minute solos and things like this. So punk music, really came and was a slap in the face for everybody to say, hey, let's just write a bunch of really great songs, go out there and kick them as hard as we can. Make no highs and lows or strategic pauses. I mean, yes, that 100%, that is true. That, yes. And the interviewer says, and you guys are one of the first and one of the best. You started a long time ago. All right, ready for this? He goes, yeah, you know, I did it. But it's funny because I was the young guy in the crowd. I was 17. Howie Pyro, who plays in D Generation, he played in Dan- also in Danzig's band recently. He was 16, and my brother Doyle was 12. Yeah, so Howie Pyro is one year behind Jerry only. And Howie, yeah, Howie was in, uh, broke big in the 90s with D Generation, which was really at the time, like, uh, sort of considered to be like a throwback to those, those, those New York punk bands of the 70s that he came up with. Just a, a decade and a half, two decades later, you know, uh, sort of like a, a, a revival of sorts. You can hear Howie briefly in this documentary. They came from Lodi. <clears throat> Interviewer says, wow. Uh, Jerry says, yeah, Doyle's five years younger than me. So Doyle saw the jam play CBGBs. I think he saw the clash with me. He saw Sid Vicious play Max's Kansas City when he was in eighth grade. So we were like the young guys on the scene. And most of the older guys that were on the scene the Jerry Nolans and the Johnny Thunders and guys like this, they were between five and 10 years older than me. They were totally into different things. We came out of high school and we were a bunch of football players and basketball players. So we were athletes. We would lift weights and we would do all this kind of stuff. And I think that's really what preserved us as long physically. I would agree. Um, was that we came in and we didn't get involved with heroin and other things like that, uh, that these guys were doing and God rest their souls. We lost a lot of them. We managed to keep it going and keep it alive. And I think we managed to reinvent ourselves every step of the way, which was important too. Now, if he's referring to reinventing themselves in those six or seven years, yeah, they did. They did every time they lost a member, they would reinvent themselves. But here's the, here's the problem. Now Jerry is in 2003. So in his mind, like in a weird kind of way, the misfits never really broke up. There's an interview of him in 1998 going, well, we never really broke up. It was just a matter of, uh, you know, getting the name back, you know, that sort of thing. Um, Adam says, any chance you do a pizza punk video? I would love to do a pizza punk video with Howie. I have All I got to do is shoot him a text message. I have his number. Um, 
I will definitely hit up Howie. I would love that. Truly love that. Thank you for the idea. I got a couple of great episodes, Adam, lined up, by the way. We have we have Damien from Sam Hain. For anybody who was not here at the beginning of the episode, I got Damien from Sam Hain coming on uh, Pizza Punk. It's a really great episode. Check it out. Please subscribe to the channel. If you are not subscribed, subscribe now. Uh, go do that. Let me see. You can subscribe right here. Boom. At the beginning of this chat, go to the top of the chat. You see that link? That link will click. You click on that link. That will instantaneously subscribe to this channel. Please do so. Please like this video. Please leave a comment. That all helps. Blah, 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 blah. So, yeah. So, I would love to do Pizza Punk with Howie Pyro. That would be great. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I'll, I'll text him. Um, uh, blah, 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 blah. And I think that's really what preserves us long. You talk about it preserves us long physically. I think we managed to reinvent ourselves every step of the way. Right. So, in. In um, sorry, I had like a massive pothole here. We were talking about, yeah, yeah. Sam Hain is under underrated. I too love all things Glenn Danzig. So, <clears throat> so J in Jerry's mind, you know, the Misfits have never really stopped. If they just stopped for this short, you know, 12, 13 year period, well, no, eleven year period, and now they're back. You know, so. So it's like, it's a continuation. Oh, 25 years, 20 years, but not really 20 years because for half that time you weren't even together. How can you call it a 20 year anniversary? How can you really call it a 25 year anniversary? I guess you can. It's 25 years of misfits in the world. So therefore I guess you could call it a 25th anniversary, but the way that it's sort of like the, 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 the narrative, the way that it's sort of touted is sort of like we're, we've always been doing this and that's not exactly true. Although Jerry and Doyle and whoever was with Jerry at the time would make up for that and would really make up for that in a big, bad way since 95, because, you know, how many shows I can, I'm sure that Jerry's probably done over a thousand, 2000 shows by now, probably as many as the Ramones. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe that's not true. I have no, I have no, I, have, I don't know if that's true or not. I really don't. I, I can't speak to that. Um, but here's him reminiscing about the past. He says, I was always a big David Bowie fan. And what happens was uh, David Bowie switched from Ziggy Stardust into doing Young American. So he was talking, he talks about this uh, more recently, but he didn't talk about this that much in 1993 or in 1983. Um, talks about doing the little disco kind of dancey stuff and dressing up. And all of a sudden I couldn't relate, you know, and I kind of left him on the side of the road and we started our own band about the same time. So I, uh, I discovered the clash. I discovered the pistols, obviously Ramones Blondie and now Blondie being one of the more transitional things uh, where they had the ability to hit the charts while other bands had always struggled because Blondie Blondie gets re repackaged, relabeled as new wave. New wave is a made up name by record companies to try and repackage some of the punk music that is more radio friendly as opposed to hardcore, which remains underground and not radio friendly at all. And, pure aka no women because <laughs> there's no girls <laughs> yeah name how many how many hardcore bands can you name with 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 all women in them black flag had kira but i'm talking about all women all women hardcore bands i'm sure there were there were some there you had denise was in the 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 stimulators but i don't know just the, the, they're far and few between is what i'm trying to say um so again, this 
interview. Okay, I should really just highlight it. So we discovered the clash and the pistols and blah blah blah. blah. And and Blondie had the ability to hit the charts while the other bands have always struggled. I mean, I don't know who has the highest billboard chart. I don't I don't know what the highest billboard chart is for a Ramon song uh or or anything like that. I really don't follow it because we're not billboard billboard oriented kind of people because you're not on the billboard. Uh, rightfully so. Well, I wouldn't follow a billboard if I was not striking hot on the billboard. But at the same time, with this new album, we charted very, very high. For us, we got in the 130s or something like that, which for us was the highest rated Misfits records yet. I believe for Famous Monsters, they hit 138. Oh, right. Yeah, it says it right here. Yeah, and I think Famous Monsters came in at 138, which is one of which is one of our songs. So we were kind of tickled. That's pretty funny. Yeah, we are 138. Jerry says, we were tickled pink about that, or tickled black, we should say. The thing was, uh, the thing that... The thing was that for the Misfits actually to have that kind of landing uh, with this is big, and it seems to be holding its own from week to week. And I think that as more, uh, more people buy it and more people see the packaging and they get the DVD, I think it's going to sell really well. I also think we're going to be going to oldie stations during Halloween season with Monster Mash. That's what he's planning for, maybe. That's why they recorded Monster Mash, because that's why they were doing uh, Forbidden Planet no forbidden zone they did forbidden zone they did scream they did bruiser they did mars attacks they're always trying to sort of um connect commercially in the 90s by getting on movie soundtracks that was jerry's jerry was so fixated on that and now he's fixated well i'll, I'll get monster mash on halloween oldie stations by covering monster mash i mean i guess the the logic makes sense um and I think that when these oldie stations get their hands on it, you're going to hear uh, see a lot of parents going home to their kids. I was listening to the radio on the way home. Did you ever hear of the Misfits? And they're all going to go, oh, my God, my mother's listening to the Misfits. This is Jerry's logic. So it's kind of funny. I didn't want to be goofy in that way. I just really wanted to show the kids, the kids, you know, because when I was a kid, my mom, she was a cheerleader when she was in high school in the 50s. She graduated in 57. So what happened was, she would go to sock hops and collect these old records. And when I was growing up in the early 60s, she would just put a whole bunch of 45s on the turntable and let it go for an hour. And I would sit there and play with my toys and listen to Fats Domino and Buddy Holly and Little Richard and things like this. So when I hit high school or actually in grammar school, my eighth grade teacher was my dad's eighth grade teacher. That was his uh, that was his first class. And we were just about his last class. And he would bring in oldies for us to show. To show us his oldies collect wait and he would bring in oldies for us to show us his oldies collection from when he used to run the sock hops so it was kind of a very nostalgic thing for me and i didn't discover real metal music probably until about 74 in that uh area when i was a freshman in high school we saw kiss's second tour we saw aerosmith's second tour and the interviewer finally gets gets a a, a breath in to go oh man yeah winston smith here says jerry's logic yeah that it's just jerry dude it's just jerry's logic man you know <laughs> it's just like it's just like he's just like ah, oh yeah this is gonna happen the, the the parents they're gonna they're gonna go crazy for the the misfits doing 1950s music and then the, and and you know again this is this is jerry trying to appeal to parents in the year 2003 so those parents are not going to necessarily 
Because, <laughs> you know, he's thinking of his own parents who grew up in the 50s. He's not thinking about, like, what about all the parents that grew up in the 70s? Oh, there was a 50s revival in the 70s. But do you know what I'm saying? Like, that's what's so funny about it. <laughs> he's just like, nah, that's the way to the kids and the parents, you know, like, try to, like, Jerry's Jerry's a magical guy, man. Uh, he says, we saw Queen's second tour. We missed everybody's first tour, but then again, nobody knew about it. And once the album started to be on the radio and the kids started wearing the shirts and you found them down on, uh, and you found them down the shore, I don't know if you're familiar with the Jersey Shore, but you could go win albums on wheel games. They had these wheel games. I, can you believe the, the, the way he jumps? Let's, let's wait, wait, let's pause for a second. This is so funny. This is too funny. Um, <laughs> you ready for this? Okay, he goes, he goes, wait, <laughs> I got to find it again. He goes, he starts off talking about tours. He goes, um, Eric thinks that Project 1950s is the saddest-ish ever. Eric, I totally respect and, un and uh, understand your opinion. I don't necessarily agree with you, but I would love, you can't just say that. You got to give me a little bit more, man. Come on. Give me a little more. Why is it the saddest ish ever? Is it because it uses the misfits name? Do you still think it would be the saddest thing ever if it didn't use the misfits name? I, that's the only thing I see wrong with it. Truly. That's the only thing I see wrong with anything that Jerry has done since 1995 that it uses the misfits name. Other than that, whatever, who cares, man? Come on, Eric. Um, all right. So <laughs> all right, ready for this? We saw Queen's second tour. We missed everybody's first tour, but then again, nobody knew about it. And once the album started to be out, so the reason why nobody knew about it is because uh, 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 they were just breaking. So, and once the album started to be on the radio and the kids started wearing the shirts, you found them down at the shore. So he starts from going from talking about seeing bands on their second tours because nobody knew about them on the first tours. And the reason why, but then they would find out because of the Jersey Shore, right? Are you following me with this so far? And then he starts talking about the Jersey Shore. I don't know if you're familiar with the Jersey. He has to explain every little thing. I don't know if you're familiar with the Jersey Shore, but you could win albums on the wheel games. And then he starts talking about the wheel games. He has to explain the wheel games. So he goes from Queen's second tour to nobody knew about the first tour um the, uh, to kids starting to wear the shirts because of the jersey shore do you know about the jersey shore well they have these games on the jersey shore so that's where we're at we're at the, these they have these wheel games it's like a 20 to 1 shot so you put a quarter up and if you got it you win an album so over the course of a week being down there with your parents you wound up coming home with about 20 albums and that's how i got kiss's first album and then i went to see hotter than hell that fall and we got Queen One and then Queen Two, and they did an album about uh, they did they did that album about the same year, and that's how we would get turned on to bands. So it was pretty interesting. So in the end, I thought that me reflecting on a '50s project was just a no-brainer, uh, and it gave me it also gave me the, the ability to showcase the fact that I was going to be singing a little bit more here. <laughs> this was the see. This is where Jerry just Jerry. Uncle Jerry, man. Um, it was a no-brainer because it gave him the ability to showcase the fact that he was going to be a singer a little bit here. And it really helped my game. That's the one thing. 
We're talking with Glenn Danzig. Hopefully we can get things back together and do a little work with him. But either way, it's time to start really writing some stuff. And I really want to write some stuff in the vein of the original Misfits. And this was the first step in that direction. See, that's the other thing about Jerry, again. Um, Jerry is, he's a massive BS artist, but not in like, he's never, it's not about like, it's not like in a way that like he's trying to con anybody. It's just that he's always like, <laughs> he just always has like a thing. You know, he's like, well, the only way that I'm going to ever write original Misfits is if I cover 1950 songs, which really showcase my ability. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, it's like this, this train. And then, you know, if you were to ask him about that today, he probably would be like, Ugh. you know what I mean? It's just like, it's like whatever, whatever he thinks is the agenda at the time is like the entire universe and everything else is, doesn't exist. I, I don't know if I'm verbalizing this right. <clears throat> He also mentions that he's talking with Glenn Danzig. So this is right around. So in 2002 is when Glenn, Jerry and Doyle meet up in secret, in secret to discuss the possibility of reuniting as the misfits. And of course, uh, Glenn has two provisions for Jerry. One uh, don't use or three. I think one he wanted, he didn't want robo. And Jerry was like, screw that Two. You got to stop touring as the misfits. And Jerry was like, screw that. And three, don't talk about this. And what does Jerry do? He's talking about it in the press. And here it is right here. Although I wonder, <clears throat> this is in 2003. So maybe it's early 2003. Maybe the meeting happened in late 2002. Happened out in California. I do know that. I know someone who was there at that meeting. He was one of the, he was, he, he flew out and was with them when that, when that all went down. Um, but yeah, that, that turned into a big monkey wrench. Eric says, I'm kind of exaggerating. It really is only so disappointing because it uses the misfits name. If it was just a exactly Eric, that's exactly it, man. That's how you have to think about these things. We can't like, it's still, it's not bad. It's just, we can't tie. It's just not, it's not misfits. That's the problem. Brand confusion. Again, as I said, from the beginning, all brand confusion, that's the problem. Um, you agree. Okay. That's good. So, so that's, so yeah. So he's talking about, so he's talking about how he wants to songwrite. He wants to get into songwriting that project 1950 is giving him a uh, wind beneath his sails. But in reality, I think it's stalling. I think this is him stalling. He wants to put something out under the misfits records label. He wants to write original material. He's using this as his, like his thing to sort of like christen his new label, but nothing comes out. Literally nothing comes out for years and years and years. He had years and years and years. He had capital. His guarantees were, he had solid guarantees and he was just touring like crazy with, with Dez and Robo or Dez and Markey. And when he has Dez and Markey in the band, his guarantees are probably even higher because he's got a Misfits. It's Misfits, a Ramon and a, and a, and a guy from Black Flag doing all these songs, uh, probably drawing pretty good. Um, so kind of like, it's like, what what's holding you back, Jerry? You know, he could have even gotten, he could have even hired Daniel Ray. I wonder why Daniel Ray didn't come in. Daniel Ray helped with songwriting and Famous Monsters and American Cycle. Daniel Ray is the Ramones producer. Helped the Ramones produce their later albums. He played guitar on those later albums. And he uh, wrote, helped with the songwriting on some of those later albums after Dee Dee Ramone left. So why, why not get a guy like Daniel Ray in there and just put something out? That's what I don't understand. I wonder what was going on behind the scenes. 
at the at that time that that prevented that from happening. But one thing is for certain, and I said this with Loki, and I said this is the truth. It's not the truth. It's just like take a look at take a look at the the numbers don't lie. The num the numbers are, are very simple, right? Look at all the stuff that Michael Graves has put out. Look at the stuff that Doyle's put out. Doyle has not put out as much as Michael Graves, but he put out a bunch of stuff. He put out a bunch. Uh, what he's got two albums, and he has the gorgeous Frankenstein thing. And he was touring when he had Goolsby singing and he had some other people singing. He had tons of original songs that he never ended up even recording or he had recorded in private, but they got scrapped for the Doyle Abominator album. So Doyle has material. Doyle has a ton of material. So we know Doyle is capable of writing songs and we know that Doyle's putting that stuff out. Um, who, who are the two people that don't put out stuff in that band? Chud. Chud puts out nothing. Chud put out one CD. He put out one CD. He did a, two songs for the Garbage Pail Kids soundtrack. Um, he didn't write any of the stuff on the Graves album. That was all Graves, Michael Graves. Uh, supposedly, there's a second Chud album in the works, but for years and years and years. So it's not that Chud can't write a song, but quite clearly, he's not the songwriting powerhouse that maybe we're led to be believed. In the same way that Jerry is not a songwriting powerhouse. Jerry's capable of writing songs, but it takes him quite clearly. It takes a lot of effort for him to do so, you know, and uh, that's that's that. Apparent, okay, Jerry's Friday the 13th EP is great. You know, I've only listened to it once or twice, and I didn't think it was anything special, to be honest with you. Uh, but it's been so long since I uh, checked it out, since wh whatever it dropped is when I checked it out. I'm going to give it another listen. I'll listen to that stuff. Did Jerry actually write those songs or were that was that Jerry other, his son? Because when his son came in the band, so again, here's the thing. Jerry's son comes in the band and all of the sudden they start putting out stuff again. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, this is the thing. For whatever reason, Jerry's capable of writing, but whatever he writes doesn't think is good enough to put out on albums. That's why there's a huge gap in, 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 that's why a huge lag in Jerry's uh, discography and a huge lag in Dr. Chud's discography. Meanwhile, you got Michael Graves has got this guy helping him with Kickstarters. He's putting out an album every three months. He's got whatever, every six months, he's, he's got a new album coming out, you know, and a lot of it is like recycled stuff, but you know, he's putting stuff out. So. Um, the interviewer says, okay, I was really fond of famous monsters. I thought it was kind of sort of a, step away from what the misfits uh, were with when Glenn was in the band and Jerry enthusiastically says, yeah. Um, the interviewer says, but in a good way, I mean, I thought you guys came up with a lot of good stuff. Jerry says, well, I'll tell you what, uh, there was a thing there. First we did American psycho. Are you familiar with that? Uh, the interviewer says, to be honest, I wasn't as fond of that one because it seemed like, and then he gets cut off. Oh, well that was a fastball. See, what happened was we got signed to Geffen based on the premise of Green Day selling 5 million records, okay? So what they wanted and what I knew we would be criticized by our fans for not doing was kicking it the whole way. So we, uh, so when we wrote the American Psycho record, we really were looking for something that was nothing but a punk album from beginning to end with no variations from the theme, just straight up. And for, uh, from our fans, we got the respect from the record. Uh, and wait, blah, blah, blah. and from the fans, and from our fans, 
we got the respect from the record company. We got the, you know, a frown. Ha. Uh, and he says, you know, because they were looking for something for the radio. They wanted to use dig up her bones and we were using uh, and wanted to use something much more. Blah, and we wanted to use something much more crazy. I wanted to go with Psycho. I thought Psycho was probably one of the most crunching tracks, but they were looking for some radio play. And I said, listen, this isn't a radio play band. That uh, This is not really what you were looking for. What you were looking for is extreme po po polarity. To find interest. That's what kids will find interest in. The fact that we come out and rip somebody's head off, they're going to love that. We come out and sing a lullaby and everybody's going to want to kill us. Don't put me there. So we left. Now, now he's saying don't put uh, if that will sing a little, little lullaby and everybody's going to want to kill us. And then how many years later is suddenly you have misfits meet the nutly brass doing elevator music covers of misfit songs. This is unbelievable. I mean, this is really unbelievable. So even just in a few short years, because that's the other thing, the Misfits meet the Nutley Brass, that came out. I mean, that's how Jerry just wants to put something out. He puts out a, a Muzak record, you know? I mean, it's just like, ah, Jerry. Um, But this is his mindset in 2003 when he's talking about this stuff. American Psycho was the best thing that Jerry did after 83. It's the best thing. It's not a bad record. I like that record. It's a good record. It's not, you know, it is what it is, but it's not, you know, I like that. I like a lot of those songs. I love American Psycho, the song. Whoa, perfect. Perfect way to open an album. Um, and so we left Geffen and we went to work on Famous Monsters. And when, and when we worked on Famous Monsters, everyone was kind of disheartened because we had done extremely well on the road with Anthrax. The lineup was Cannibal Corpse, Life of Agony, uh, Life of Agony, Anthrax, and the Misfits. And we had such a versatile crowd. A bunch of people came from different areas. And we played really big places, had really big shows. And Anthrax was hungry. They were really looking to get our audience because that was really, ugh, that was really an audience that wasn't going to die out on them. Oh. And then when we put out the Psycho album, we wound up opening for Megadeth and it was just a rock crowd and everybody was like, oh, what's going on? We play for these people, but nobody gets it. I was saying the same thing. And they were charging $30 a ticket for us in Megadeth. And then taking about an hour and a half to frisk everybody at the door and our fans who paid 30 bucks didn't even get to see us. It was a real pain in the ASS. So when we wrote Famous Monsters, everyone, everybody was kind of scattered. So Famous Monsters was written in about two months by people just like sending in stuff. The interviewer goes, what? Yeah, everybody came out, uh, came down with ideas and basically we picked the best ideas and we were just so there was no consistency between everything. It was just like 20 different colors just splattered on the board. Um, the interviewer says, I really like that about it. And then Okay, this is now I remember why this interview was brought to me in the first place, because Jerry says that's what Danzig liked about it, because Jerry claims that Danzig liked uh, famous monsters. And I have no idea how Jerry would know that or what would make him say that. Here's what here's what I could suspect. Ready? Here's my hypothesis. Maybe that Jerry. um Jerry 
met up with Glenn and Doyle, right, to discuss the reunion. And perhaps Jerry brought up Famous Monsters or brought Glenn Famous Monsters or something. Maybe Glenn in passing, in a moment of trying to be peaceful with Jerry, might have said, I like Famous Monsters. Although I can't possibly imagine Glenn ever admitting to liking, let alone listening to the 95 Misfits. And I'm sure that if you asked him today, he'd be like, what? I never listen to any of that stuff. You know, but at this time where he's hoping to do a reunion and make a lot of money, maybe he's maybe even Glenn is capable of sort of bending, you know, bending his branches a little bit just to grease the wagon, the wagon wheels if he really needs to. Who knows? Who knows? I Um, Winston says Famous Monsters is my favorite non-Danzig album. Ugh. I like it a lot less than American Psycho. It's got a couple of good tracks. I'd say about half the tracks are are are, are catchy, fun tunes. But it's a it, it's metal. It's like heavy like heavy metal punk. There's nothing punk about Famous Monsters. There's not much that's punk about American Psycho. They're, these really are both metal albums, in my opinion. And you well, you know, at the same time, I'm not a metal guy, so this is a metal a non metal guy because I'm sure a metal guy would be like. Jeff, that is totally not metal. This is why it's not metal. Let me explain it to you. But in my non-metal mind, I'm thinking going like, that's not really metal. I don't know. So. um, <laughs> So he says, that's what Danzig, that's why someone sent it to me because they were talking about that's why Danzig liked this record. So crazy. Oh, he liked it too, says the interviewer. He goes, well, he liked it better than American Psycho. Now, see, Doyle doesn't. Doyle likes Psycho better. And me, I like certain things about each one. I thought uh, I thought that the real versatility and famous monsters really showed a lot of talent. You know, we had songs like The Sending Angel, and we had songs like The Forbidden Zone and Helena. The record company didn't. Roadrunner, we were on Roadrunner. We figured Roadrunner, it's an indie label. They got Slipknot, for Christ's sake. So why are they going to kind of scrutinize what we're doing? They wanted to cut Helena out of the lineup. And I was just like, oh, my God, this song is just it's got it all, you know, and it's a favorite with the crowd. I like it, too. Crawling Eye, probably the bet, uh, probably being one of my favorites on the album. Then there was some stuff I wrote with Danny Ray. See, he wrote with Daniel Ray. So the only the only thing that I could the only thing that I could surmise. Yes, that explains it, Winston. Psycho is heavier and more. They're both metal. They're both metal. I, I, uh, yes, yeah, Psycho is heavier. I don't know if it's more metal, but it's heavier. Psycho is heavier. Yeah, I guess Day of the Dead is very metal. I don't know. Yes, I agree. Songs on both are good. Uh, Rue is saying that Jerry hated hated Roadrunner. I guess. Um. Let's talk about uh, Crawling Eye uh, probably being one of my favorites on the album. Then there was some stuff I wrote with Daniel Ray. So, oh, yeah. So, right, right. What I was saying, Daniel Ray probably, probably um, uh, didn't write anything with Jerry. The only thing that surmises there was a falling out. There must have been a falling out with Daniel Ray after Famous Monsters. That's why, because why wouldn't Jerry call Daniel Ray back to write more songs for, for the Misfits? 
that's the only explanation and that's the other thing that adds to the whole this whole thing it's like oh you know um uh jerry jerry and chud are you know writing in the misfits but so is daniel ray so you have five songwriters in the misfits technically don't forget about that um And Daniel Ray is the connection to the Joey Ramone stuff. Um, he did not write Pets. He said it says right here, and he wrote Pet Cemetery with Dee Dee. Uh, Danny's good. He's a good songwriter. He's a little I don't want to say on the pop side, but very well structured songs. You know where Helena is like three different things welded together. Hold on, let's check that. Pet Cemetery was not written. I'm sorry, Pet Cemetery was not written by Daniel Ray. I don't think. Let's see. Let's see if we can find, um, see if the song comes up uh, on Wikipedia. Here you go. Um, the song. I don't think Daniel Ray wrote Pet Cemetery. That'd be insane. Th there's a great story about how Dee Dee Ramone wrote, wrote Pet Cemetery. They went to the Ramones, visited Stephen King's house. Pet Cemetery was just sitting on on some steps, and Didi Ramone in about fifteen minutes wrote Pet Cemetery. Ready? He said, uh, "Let's see." King is a huge Ramones fan and invited the band to his Bangor, Maine home as they played New England. During the visit, he handed Didi Ramone a copy of his Pet Cemetery novel, and the bassist retreated to the basement. One hour later, Didi returned with the lyrics to Pet Cemetery. Shortly afterwards, drum, drummer Marky Ramone said that Didi's attitude that day showed that he could achieve his plans to leave the band and attempt a career in hip hop music. He likened Didi King, likened Didi to King, saying that they both wrote things that people could relate to because they penetrated to the curiosity, fears, and insecurities carried around with them and could uh, that they couldn't put into words. Wow. Okay. Wow. All right. All right. All right. Looks like it's correct. No, 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 it's not. It's not, guys. I'm wrong. We're, we're all wrong. Ready for this? Ready for this? Here's the truth. Producer Daniel Ray, he became a co-writer by assisting with the structure of the song. So it really did come from Dee Dee, but then Daniel Ray helped to shape the song afterwards. Um, how about that? And then Gene Bo uh, Bo Bouvard, Bouvard who, who also produced... The Ramones, uh, didn't he do Pleasant Dreams or Subterranean Jungle? Helped give the song a more commercial style. I'm pretty sure it got some radio play. And then filmed, the music video was filmed five minutes from where I live in Sleepy Hollow. At the Sleepy Hollow Cemetery. Shot on a cold night in January of 1989. Um, yeah, man. Right next to where I live. And uh, Andy Chernoff is in it. So, reception for the song was not entirely positive as it was nominated for the now defunct Razzie Award for the worst original song in 1989. Huh, who would have thought? Isn't that crazy? All right, anyway, back, I digress. Back to the, but I did not know that about Daniel Ray. I did not know he helped to write uh, uh, Pet Cemetery. That's blowing my mind. Um, Jerry says, you know, Shabbily welded together so you could tell the difference in every part of the song. So he's talking about Helena. Danny kind of writes smooth. We wrote Hunting Humans. We wrote things like this. Danny and I wrote 10 uh, songs in seven songs. 
which I thought might be close to the record until you probably look at some of the Beatles statistics. I think what they mean to say is that they wrote 10 songs in seven days. So I guess Danny and Jerry worked really well together. Probably Danny coming up with like the ideas musically and Jerry, I could imagine Jerry, Jerry's contribution to the music writing, just being like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Now do that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, 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 oh. you know, like sort of like project managing the songwriting. I can imagine Jerry being in that role. I do. I know. I don't, don't know. Just, just theorizing here, people. Um, so they wrote 10 songs. I'm going to say they wrote 10 songs in not seven songs in seven days is what they mean to say. Pretty crazy. That is, that's definitely a, some kind of record. Um, but four of them made it to the record or five of them made it to the record. Uh, and that was the foundation. Once that happened, everybody got a little bit scared that me and Danny were going to write the album in the next three days. So everybody started showing up with stuff. But the thing was, we had a deadline. We were supposed to have an album out for a Halloween release, which was always big for us. We had to cram it in. And I'm really proud of that because we put it together in two months. And there was a lot of stuff on there for two months. So I do know. So here's what I do know about this. Um, I am in possession of. I do have some unreleased famous monsters music there. It does exist. And there are songs that I had never known to be misfit songs, interesting, weird songs. Some of them are untitled. Some of them have interesting names. I've tried searching for them on YouTube because I thought maybe they had gotten leaked already. They have not. Um, I know that some members of the band don't even know what these songs are, but they are songs from this. They are come from rehearsals and stuff. And uh, they're very interesting. They're very, very interesting to to listen to. Even, even if I'm not about that, even that's, even though it's not about that anyway. um, But yeah, there was just a lot. There was a lot of material. There was a lot of material. That's the point of, of what I'm trying to say. Uh, I'm really proud of that because we put it together in two months and there was a lot of stuff on, on there for two months. Yeah. The interviewer says, yeah. Oh, wow. I didn't know it was two months. And Jerry says, yeah, that's all it took. American psycho was put, uh, American psycho. We put about six months into writing it and trying to fix stuff and working on lyrics and working on timings. That was our first studio album. So we wanted to make sure that it was, that all our eyes were dotted and the T's were crossed. It was a good working band for its time and it kind of outgrew itself. So what I did was when we had, when we did the 25th anniversary tour, it, it brought me, it brought me time to bring in guys. Oh, it brought me time to bring in guys like Marky and Des. Um, all-star home run hitters. And then it fell into this album because this album is really, in my case, a new beginning. If we don't lock down with Glenn, if we don't lock, yeah, if we don't lock down with Glenn, then I'm going to have to start working. I'm going to have to start working with me on vocals for the next record and just work along those lines and start working with Doyle again. So he thinks at this point in 2003, so going back to why we're doing this in the first place, we're trying we're trying to, uh, you know, understand why, you know, uh, how Jerry's mindset in 2003. In 2003, Jerry thinks I might work again with Glenn Danzig and I might 
get back with Doyle. In the meantime, I'm going to focus on being the singer and singing myself. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> whatever. Uh, okay. So now here he kind of spills the beans about Glenn. Ready for this? God, this thing is long. Um, blah, 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 blah. If we don't lock down with Glenn, then I start working on my vocals for the next record. Just work along those lines and start working with as if it's his choice to start working with Doyle again. Because at this point, I don't think it's Doyle. Doyle doesn't want to work with him. Doyle doesn't want to work with Jerry right now. Uh, so now, now, um, because once again, this is the second time unprompted, the interviewer's never asked, the interviewer has never said, Hey, when are you going to reunite with Glenn? Is there ever going to be an original Misfits reunion? Blah, 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 blah. Only this is Jerry is voluntarily putting it out there that he's been talking with Glenn again, much to Glenn's dismay because Glenn doesn't want this stuff to be getting out. He wants nobody to know about it. He wants everything to lay low and then come back in a big, bad way. Um, so he goes, the interviewer says, what's going on with Glenn? I didn't realize you were talking to him. And then here's where Jerry goes, Glenn and us, we had a few talks and we decided, hey, is there something that we can do here or something that we can't do? There's obviously a lot of distant distance between, but the idea is not a bad idea. So he says that he had that 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 he had had a few talks with Glenn and they were trying to figure out if there's something that they could do or could not do. There's obviously a lot of dif- distance between, but the idea is not a bad idea. And my uh, uh, my pr- promise, my prama premise, why can't premise? Why can't I say that word? And my premise, whatever. My premise was that I really didn't want to come back and just be a band playing a bunch of punk songs that we did back in the seventies and eighties. I really wanted to come back and work on new stuff and try to incorporate some of the new technology as far as drumming goes. The double bass drum. And I'm sure that made Glenn real happy. And, you know, the real aggressive low end uh, that these guys got going on. These kind of uh, production procedures were not available to us. But now we've spawned bands like Metallica and Pantera and Manson and these other bands that come along. Slipknot, for example, have come and they and they got the show and they got this huge crunching banging around and low end that blows out your windows in your car. I mean, we haven't accomplished that yet. Not that it's something that we wouldn't easily master. I think that'll wind up working really, really well. I mean, Jerry literally. Again, I say this with love, Uncle Jerry, but Uncle Jerry is a is a hot bag of wind who is just he is just talking, talking, talking like he just talks, talks, talks. You know, Um, but that's why it makes him again. That also kind of makes him a great interview in the sense that like, man, you get you really get your interviews worth when you interview a guy like Jerry only. Okay. Um, not that it's something we won't easily because now he's talking about mastering technology. The guy asked him about a question about Glenn Danzig. You know what I mean? Like he he's like, Hey, I were you working with Glenn? Now he's talking about, oh, you know, we've spawned bands like blah blah blah. And you know, uh the, the technology wasn't around at the time. Um, and now you don't even know if he's talking about working with Glenn or if he's just talking about himself. But I think we should come back and show all the boys uh, that learned from us what we had up our sleeve the whole time. Just now, uh, just just now that obviously recording technology has been so far advanced since then. We used to be two inch, sixteen tracks, you know, and now we bring the sixteen track old tapes into the studio to remix 
stuff and people are like, whoa, that's 16. So it's a different game. I don't know. I don't. Yeah, that's the perfect way to put him. He's just a used car salesman. That's what Jerry is. He's a lovable used car. He's a lovable used car salesman. Yep. Yeah, Jerry, Jerry just loves to talk, man. He just loves to talk. Um. So now the interviewer goes, so, so do you think you will have Doyle back in the band at some point? And again, like Doyle wants nothing to do with the band, obviously. And again, who I don't know what happened behind the scenes. Maybe he did. Maybe they're really he was legitimately thinking about coming back. But, you know, at this time, he's not um, at this time. He's not in the band. He goes, oh, yeah, Doyle right now. As a matter of fact, he's not working. He's not at work for the last two weeks. He's got something wrong with his elbow, some kind of tinnitus or something, because I guess they are. I mean, they they live right next to each other. They are are still sharing and working in the, the factory, at least until Doyle moves to Las Vegas. I don't know if he's moved to Las Vegas yet, but they, they you know, they both work in the same factory, even despite all the bad blood they have between each other. She says he's got some kind of tinnitus or something. They've got an electrical strap, an electronical strap that he's wearing now. And the thing is, he's gigantic. He's twice my size. He's been lifting and working. His baby daughter just turned one. So, so, his, so his, his daughter had just turned one. So that was a milestone. He's got four kids now that he's taking care of. So it's something I was looking forward to, but he's got, but he needs some time off. So he's trying to make it about, he's really trying to make it the reason why is about family and children. When in reality, I'm sure Doyle would be more than happy to be like out there frigging, you know, uh, uh, banging guitars around and making a lot of money doing so. Uh, and instead he's just, yeah, he's got, you know, kids and, you know, doing his thing, blah, blah, blah. And you're just trying to make it, make, make it, make it about that. Um, so that was a milestone. He's got four kids now that he's taking care of. So it's something I was looking forward to, but he needs some time off. He said, Hey, listen, I'm going through a divorce. Oh, so he hadn't married George yet, but he's going through a divorce with his first wife. I'm getting remarried and now we've got some injuries, but I'm hoping to get him back. If not next fall, as soon as we start writing some new material. So he's out there in the press talking about his brother Doyle, talking about getting him back in the band. Not, not none of the the turmoil that's going on is is discussed. It's just you know, and just putting him, uh, uh, making it sound like he's waiting in the rafters to return at some point. Because we'll run this '50s record probably through the end of the year and and maybe for a little bit of next year. But it's time to really focus and put together something great. And I know that regardless of whether we work with Glenn in the future or not, it's just a matter of trying to write the best stuff. I, this literally is the same thing he would say for. I mean, all the way up till now, all the way up until the original Misfits, he would just say the same thing. Uh, the kids about giving the kids the best show about not watering down the product and about writing, trying to make something great and write something for the kids. So based on that, I might have to go dump this stuff on Glenn's desk and have him review it and go over it. I want to make sure it smokes, you know? So, so Jerry's saying, I'm going to write the best stuff. I'm going to, walk into Glenn's office, dump it on his desk and have him review it. Cause Glenn is going to take what he's written and, and incorporate it into a misfits album, which might, as a, a matter of fact, might be what's happening as we speak in terms of in misfits land uh, as during this, this whole pandemic thing. Uh, if, if they are talking or if there is speculation as to whether there's going to be a new album or not, uh, I wonder if 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 uh, Jerry and and Doyle, who 
who kind of have more weight than they might have had back then, especially, you know, with Doyle writing all, all these albums and stuff, might be trying to muscle in on the writing action. Who knows? Who knows? I don't know. I'm just, again, I'm king speculator here, speculating away. Um, so it's just always, yeah, I'm just writing the best stuff. Oh, okay. The interviewer says, oh, okay. Uh, why is why is he interested in it's not why is he what is he interested in oh okay what is he interested in is he kind of bored with what he's doing or and then jerry cuts him off he's launching a festival oh so he's talking about glenn he's launching a festival we had just done the fiend fest and the fiend fest was our answer to horror punk we had balzac from japan we had the damned from england it was international bands it was six bands on the lineup we had a gnostic front which brought a lot of the hardcore kids, the kids. It was actually a really, really great band. So there you go. Shout out to Roger and, and Agnostic Front who played with Jerry for Fiend Fest. So I didn't know Fiend Fest happened in 2003. I know it happened later in 2006. Um, why didn't they release a live album of the sold out Madison Square Garden show? That would have been cool. I don't know, man. I really don't know. That That is one of life's great mysteries. You think that considering that Glenn already owns the publishing to all those songs, why wouldn't they just put it out? They don't have to argue over the money, or maybe that's part of it. Maybe that Jerry's saying, I want a piece if you're going to put it out. I don't know. I don't know. It baffles the mind because they were so, sm they smoked that MSG show. They smoked that MSG show. They sounded great. Why? Why wouldn't they put it out? I would say it ain't a mystery, baby, not to me, but it is a mystery, baby, it is to me. Um, so, so he's talking about how Glenn is launching Blackest of the Black. That's what he's talking about. Um, the interviewer says, yeah, I like them, referring to Agnostic Front. Jerry says, we went on tour with them in Europe. And the problem is when a band goes on right before me, I never get to see them because I got to do a vocal lesson and prepare to get on stage. So the red zone for me is an hour before we go on. And most bands that open for us get 45 minutes or an hour. So I can catch maybe the first couple of songs. But the way it was laid out, Agnostic Front was during my makeup time, which is before that. Thanks for explaining that, Jerry. You have to let us know. Have to let us know that you are warming up to sing, you know. Um uh and the interviewer goes oh man this interviewer so many of his answers are just like one note answers oh ha 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 what i really like that about that oh i like i mean look at the you could see it here on the on the on the thing you could see it right here look at the look at look at uh jerry's answers versus the interviewer the interviewer can barely get sentences in with the dude um it's amazing uh, he goes it's a pain in the butt but you are who you are and you got to do what you got to do that's another thing that jerry loves to do in interviews he always is like you are who you are and you got to do what you got to do or some variation of that some variation of that alliteration uh when he's saying something so the thing is i got this formula for pulling off these shows so people were just coming up to me saying, man, Agnostic Front is great. So we had them on the bill. We had DI, which is kind of a, a Dickies. So it was a really, really strong show. 
the interviewer. Oh, wow. Oh, man, I should have gone to that. I like all those. This, this interviewer is like terrible. He's going, oh, oh, wow. Oh, man. But then again, maybe this sounds like it was a phone interview. And it's like, again, trying to get a word in with Jerry. Ah, who knows? Uh, Jerry goes, yeah, well, that's it. There was a point where we were in San Francisco and I had to do a Guitar Center signing for our new string line that came out. So Dean Markley hooked that up and said, hey, listen, we want you to we want you down at the store at three o'clock. So it was an early show in Frisco. And I got to the back of my bus. It was parked right outside the door and the doors were open. I can just hear the bands getting ready to go. So I said, okay, let me get ready. Ah, I got about five hours before I go on. I'm going to lay down for a minute. So I laid down with the windows open and I listened to every band one after the other. And after each song, I could hear the crowd scream. And I was just like, wow. I said, this is really, really good. I said, you know, every song is just getting a very huge positive response. Every band. And that's something that I think a lot of bands... And that's something that I think a lot of the bigger festivals lack, you know, they're just so diversified. I mean, they've got, this guy spells Manson wrong. He spells Manson, M-A-N-S-U-N, like Manson. I mean, they've got Manson with Limp Biscuit. That's two totally different crowds. And if you're going to be spending a lot of money to see one type of music, you got to sit there with your thumb up your rear end until it happens. With us, it's a very specific audience. Come see this. Because you're going to like the whole thing. If you like steak, then this is for you. This is our little barbecue. What is he saying? What is he talking about? Come see this. <laughs> now he's talking about steak. If you like steak, this is for you. This is our little barbecue. So it wound up working really well. I was happy with it. One of the things that Glenn was working on, which I knew would be a hard sell, was Blackest of the Black, which is a bunch of death metal bands, mostly from Europe. I think that's what he had planned on working on. So I'm hoping that we can get this together and do some stuff because it would be fun. That is the fourth time. Jerry has brought up Glenn four times, uh, three of which were unprovoked in this one interview. He really wants this guy to know that that he had been talking with uh, Glenn. Um, Because it would be fun. It would obviously be an intention getter and we've always worked well together so i really don't see an issue uh see an issue of us moving progressively forward but you know in time also now that (laughs) no comment no comment um also at this time you know jerry has lost he lost um you know michael and chud and he's not working with Danny Ray. It seems right now he's not. At least, um, he 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 does. He needs he needs to get back with Glenn. He's desperate to get back with Glenn. He doesn't have his brother anymore. His brother's gone. Like he, if he gets back with Glenn, he could put the whole thing back together. You know what I mean? Um. And now here's okay. Here's a great question. Ready? Um. He the interviewer says. Why did the band break up? Why did the band originally break up in 83 or 84? 83, 84. So this is 20 years ago that the band broke up initially. 20 years. So so the their uh, talks would not begin at least a minimum of like 18 years after the band breaks up. 18, 19 years. Um, he goes, well, all right. And here's what's interesting. Let's see how he responds in 2003. That's, again, this is the main goal of why we're, we're going we're going through the decades and there's another 2003 interview. We're not going to tackle it today because we're about to hit two hours, but uh, there's another 2003 interview. I'm curious to know if that is any different than what, what we're hearing now. 
He goes, well, it was a stressful time. This is why did the band originally break up in 83 or 84? Well, it was a stressful time. I had gotten, I had been married, just gotten. Well, I was married for about a year and I had a daughter. So Jerry had a daughter, 82. If you could imagine it, Jerry had a family when he was at the tail end of the misfits and he was young, a young, young guy. Well, I was married for about a year and I had a daughter and we weren't making any money. And it was just getting to the point where if we were going to play like I did all the time and walked out, the, uh, the, if I was going to play like I did all the time and walked out of the door every time I needed to, what that doesn't, what does that make? Doesn't make any sense. If I was going to play like I did all the time and walk out the door every time I needed to, then I wanted it to be fun. You know, I wanted to enjoy it. I didn't want to be told what we were going to do where I didn't want to see egos get in the way. And it just wound up getting in the way. There were some situations where I was giving up everything I had for the band and I just expected everybody else to feel the same way. And when I saw some things were just undoable for the good of the band, I realized I was just kidding myself in a way. I'm very happy because I think if we were to hit the level that like say Metallica or somebody like that hit, then we would have had a hard time dealing with it. I think in the end it would have been our doom. I'm not so sure about that. I think you would money solves problems, right? Money, money will solve all sorts of problems. And then the, the interviewer goes, oh, yeah. And then you know what his follow-up is? Oh, okay, yeah. He goes, oh, yeah. And then he, and then Jerry only says, well, yeah, I mean, the money, the drugs, the... And he goes, oh, okay, yeah. It's hard for anybody at that level. You know what I'm saying? And the interviewer says, yeah. So three responses of the interviewer are, oh, yeah, oh, okay, yeah, and yeah. Whatever, a phone conversation. It's a phone conversation. That's why. Um. And I was, my God, I was 23. So my brother Doyle was 18 and we had stepped out of the picture and three to four years later, boom, Metallica hit. And I think we would have been just as well a candidate for that kind of level of acceptance based on the melodic songs that we have. I mean, they play a lot of them. I'll put it to you that way. And they do them well, better than we do. <laughs> so Doyle was 18 when the Misfits are over. He was 23. I think Doyle might have been 19. I don't know if he was 19. No. Yeah, he was 19. He would have just turned 19. Yeah. He was 16 when he just turned 16 when he started. Yeah. He would have been 19, not 18. Um, and then the interview goes, I know. Yep. Yep. Jerry says, so I think it would have been good. But at the same time, I think a lot of things from a family structure point would have fell, fell apart. And I think a lot of us being more mature, being more responsible and having a band now is probably a blessing in disguise, right? Because you're older, and more mature. What kind of stuff did you do in between then and when, and when you relaunched the band later? Later. Hmm. I wonder what stuff that was, Jerry. <laughs> he goes, we worked on a bunch of different projects. And now the interviewer finally does uh, uh, just, you know, throws, throws Jerry the gauntlet of fire. He says, I've heard of Christ the Conqueror. Let's, how does Jerry digest Christ the Conqueror in 2003? Yeah, we worked on that. Well, everybody thought we were demonic. That was the impression that was being put out there, which was basically Glenn was the band and he was into Danzig's Son of Satan stuff. So I didn't want the kids to think that. And I didn't know if we'd ever get our name back. 
but we did. And we also designed our guitars during that period of time. And we were just trying to get them licensed through BC Rich right now so the kids can buy them. The kids, of course. The ones we make, I think, are too high-endy, too expensive because they're made out of graphite. Wow. That's all he says about Christ the Conqueror, which was, uh, you know, years. I mean, they did a lot of stuff. Uh, in Christ, you know, they wrote a whole album's worth of material. They were works workshopping those guitars and the, the the songs. They almost signed with Atlantic Records. Um, Jerry says, "Yeah, they the the guitars take a long time to make, and they take five minutes to screw them up. Isn't that like anything? All the best stuff takes forever to make, and all the best stuff can easily be destroyed in in a matter of seconds." Jerry says. I go bang them. Uh, I go bang them against stuff. It's almost a sin what happens to our stuff, but the equipment we were buying and hacking up to make uh, to make look like Batman guitars, we decided for just about the same amount of money we should just be able to build our own. So we got into doing that, which is a really cool, fun, creative thing to do. Like really, like what an interesting thing. There was a lot of that stuff uh, wound up being pr- preliminary work for what followed the cycle recording and things like this. So we were pretty much prepping the whole time, building props, building drum kits. We built a giant drum kit with these huge spikes on it that glowed in the dark. So there you go. You know, like Christ the Conqueror is a, is a, is a, is a workshop for Misfits 95, I guess. And could you imagine if they would have called themselves Christ the Conqueror had they not gotten the Misfits name back instead of, them or the resurrected or whatever um crazy stuff just off the wall kind of stuff amusing our amusing ourselves so i think probably one of the things we had too much time with nothing to do but we work every day i'm in the machine shop right now so so i guess that 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 answers that question he's talking he's talking to this interviewer from the machine shop oh my god this interview is still not over oh my god Oh, my God. You've got to be kidding me. Oh, my God. All right. (sighs) I am, like, exhausted from reading this. (laughs) Should we do a part two tomorrow? Kind of want to do a part two. Let me see. Let's take a look. Let's see. Uh, Let's see how much is left. There's not that much left. All right. All right. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. Um, Do the misfits keep you financially set or do you have to work a day job? Well, the thing is, we have a lot of things going on. So the misfits pretty much funds the misfits. In other words, it used to cost me money to be in the band. When I was in the band with Glenn Doyle and I, we would take our paycheck and throw it on the counter at the music store and spend all our money on keeping the misfits going. And then I think we got paid uh, the last gig we ever did. And that was about it. After that, during the 80s, pretty much we had to work to support our families. And then when the new band came back out, we hit levels, but we didn't hit the levels that I thought we could have. I thought Geffen dropped the ball. I thought Roadrunner pretty much exploited our fans and took what they could from the project while putting in as little as possible. That's why I started our own uh, label. It just came to a point where, hey, look, if we're going to sell a quarter of a million records to our fans, then we should be doing it. Because that's your break-even point when you do a big uh, a deal with a big label. Man, I couldn't agree more. Truly, I couldn't agree more. Um, 
Yeah, I should do a part two. You know what? You know what I can do? Here's what I'm going to do. Because I had a second 2003 interview. Let's put a pin in it now. I'm going to come back to this interview. And we'll go and do the other interview, too. So it'll be a part two. We'll do a part two. And then you have some comments here. Yeah, we'll wait. We'll wait. So what was the last thing we we talked about? The, the misfits. Yeah, that's it. So listen, I hope you guys enjoyed this. I am exhausted. Uh, please subscribe to the channel if you haven't done already. I know I said that a hundred times. Please like this video. Uh, there's a bunch of ways you can support the creation of this content. Um, feel free to do so. Look in the comments. You can buy a t-shirt, buy a cup of coffee. All of that stuff keeps the creation of this content going. Um, you know, uh, we've got more, more shows coming, trying to have videos come out at least every single day. It's not an easy thing to do. More pizza punk shows coming. Um, Eric asks, do I ever plan on doing a show about the Danzig five era? I mean, yeah, I, we got to listen. <laughs> we got to stretch this out, baby. We got to make this work, huh? We gotta, we gotta, we gotta keep it. We gotta keep it going as long as we can go. If Danzig Five is a topic, then we're gonna do it. Maybe what we'll do, because it's been so long since I listened to Danzig Five, we'll do a Danzig Five listening party. We'll do a Danzig Five interview, and we'll do a Danzig Five listen and uh, talk about that. The way I, I don't know if any of you saw my my review for Danzig uh, sings Elvis, so maybe we'll do something along the lines of that. If that's something that you're really into, Eric, I can make that happen. I'm glad you like the content. I really do. I really appreciate it. Rue, Rue Morg, thank you for uh, for joining us. And again, I want to hear the rest of that story. Feel free to jump on. Um, thumbs up to you, buddy. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, okay. That's it. That's it. So guys, have a good Sunday. Adam really want Adam really wants Howie, man. You're 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 fiending for some Howie. I'm gonna put the feelers out to Howie. I promise. I promise I have a list of people that uh, I've been talking to uh, trying to get some results. I have J uh, Joe JV is coming back uh, very soon. He's coming after Pete. I feel like JV is an ongoing conversation. I love talking with Joe. So uh, I'm sure he'll be back a bunch more in the future. Maybe we'll get Loki on again. Um, I don't know. We'll see. But I'm working on that. Yeah, the Damien one. Everyone's going to love the Damien episode. Everyone's gonna love the demon episode. See you tomorrow. I don't know if it's gonna be tomorrow, it might be next week. It depends. Uh, I got a lot going on this week. Matter of fact, I might have to push the show to next Monday. I'm doing a there's a 72 hour uh film festival composition. Jason, good night. Uh, thank you. I'm glad you thought it was a good show. Have a good night. Um, there definitely will be a show tomorrow, just not the misfits show. Drew says. Michael Graves should be on and he'll tell you why the misfits ba uh, banded him. So drew, I don't know if you ever saw my Michael Graves episodes. I don't think Michael Graves like, first of all, I don't think Michael Graves remembers me ever. I don't think he like recognizes who I am any which way to begin with. Um, because I'm such a tiny footnote to him. If, if, if a footnote at all, that's number one, number two, I've said a lot of uh, uh, negative things about Michael Graves because he, uh, you know, well, you know, just done some pretty, I don't know. I think he said some pretty irresponsible things and I called him out on it. I confronted him on his show. Uh, and then I did a whole episode about him. So Drew, go seek out at that episode and you'll see why 
Michael Graves will never come on this show. And I wouldn't want him on the show either. So not going to happen, Drew. Uh, yes, Adam, I agree. JV, sure can talk. Sure can talk. Um, yeah, he, <laughs> he might not like it now. I, he's been very, Mike Graves has been very quiet. I keep, I keep track. I, I watch, I, I look and see what he's up to just to see if anything's going on. He has a YouTube channel. He's got, he hasn't posted anything recently. So I don't know. Um, who knows? But uh, all right, guys, as always, peace and hair grease. Thank you for